stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take either an aspect, a planet, or a topic and view it under the lens of synastry, otherwise known as relationship astrology. Also, composite charts fall into that category as well. I am your host, Sandra Misek. I am so happy that you guys have actually joined me uh, today and in finding my podcast. So when I mentioned topics, well, I just have to say for this week, we've got a meaty topic. Yeah, quite a meaty topic. So uh, just in case you guys have not noticed within the notes, um, I will be dividing this episode into part one and part two. We are going to get into generational relationships, which I have found this week's Stargazers to be extremely interesting. Uh, basically, what I'm doing this week is really merging generational astrology, which is basically where um, we'll, we will dive into this a little further, but it's basically astrology where it dives into not only the generational planets, but due to their position and which sign that they were in, what may have influenced outcomes or what it may have influenced outcomes for the psycho and socioeconomic conditions that um, many generations had to undergo and hence what may have kind of inspired or influenced their outlook, their personality, their socioeconomic uh, position, and also their political viewpoints as well too. So that it's a definitely a very, um, a very interesting branch of astrology, but we're merging that branch of astrology this week with sinistry astrology. My idea was to kind of get more of an understanding of each generation from the greatest generation, otherwise known as the silent generation, to Gen Z, basically the generation after me. I have to just remember that it's uh, to Gen Z, basically. So we're kind of, in, you know, just encompassing viewpoints and what's going on. Uh, this week, I will be uh, diving into the greatest generation, otherwise the, known as the silent generation, baby boomers, and the wonderful and the ever precarious and precocious Gen Xers. And then next week, we'll dive into millennial and Gen Zers as well, too. But uh, what kind of inspired this in general was that, you know, every now and then we do have relationships where we do fall for somebody who is either a generation older than we are or a generation younger than we are. Or if there are some special circumstances, such as what I had when I was 26 years old, you might have a relationship with somebody who is like two generations ahead of you, maybe three generations ahead of you. Um, either way, we all interface with different generations daily, whether it be in a romantic relationship or just also in a familial or even a working partner relationship in that um, instead of just looking at the statistics of what each generation brings, I thought it would be helpful to look at the astrology of everything as well too and the characteristics. But, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, we do interface with different generations and it would be nice to know what 
could, uh, you know, what each generation really craves when it comes to relationships. So that's really the, like I said, again, the, the real focus of this week. And as I've said, the where you'll want to look. So I was kind of getting into this earlier, but um, basically what where I will be looking. So I said the generational planets, which is usually Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Unfortunately, um, poor Jupiter has been left out again in another episode. I mean, with the uh, Am I Marriage material, Jupiter was left out because there were some positions in the chart that indicate infidelity. And and now we're leaving Jupiter out yet again. So I think next topic, we're going to have to really include Jupiter in the fall. You know, it's going to have to be a Jupiterian type of topic, you know, very, very expansively minded sort of topic. But the reason why I left Jupiter out in this case and in this scenario was that um, when I looked at Gen Xers, and this was not the first generation I'd seen this, but um, when I looked at Gen Xers, I looked at Crispin Glover's chart, I looked at Billy Burke's chart, and then I looked at Edward Norton's chart, all three of whom are in Gen Xers or Gen X. And it was very interesting. You would want, you would expect that Jupiter would stay in one place, kind of like with the other generational planets, but Jupiter was in very different places. I mean, like Crispin Glover's chart, Jupiter was in uh, Taurus, whereas with Edward Norton's chart, it was all the way in Libra already. So, um, and Edward Norton was born 1969, Crispin Glover, 1960, I think it was around like 62, 61, 62, but either way, again, radical jump. And I think the radical jump is that Jupiter moves every six months. So again, Mars and Jupiter are kind of like those barrier planets where, yeah, they could be considered in one category, but they don't really act in accordance with that one category. So um, again, with Jupiter, I would say because its position is just so, you know, jumps every six months. Again, I'm leaving it out for this time being because I just wanted to see again for a generation, we want to see those plants that'll stick around in a particular sign and a particular house for quite some time, usually a particular sign for quite some time. So Saturn through Pluto are usually those indicators. And, you know, case in point, like Saturn takes about three to four years before moving. I can attest to that from 2019 to now when it finally moved from my sixth to seventh house. But then there's Uranus. I think it takes about every four to six years, I'd like to say, before it moves from one house to the other. And then Neptune and Pluto, it takes years. Like actually Pluto takes 17 years to move. And I think that's what generation, that's why generational astrologers look at Pluto first. And also they look at Neptune second because Neptune's kind of shortly behind there. I think it's like 14 to 17 years before it moves from one house to another. So the, the generational planets are definitely those planets that are stubborn and they stick and stay for quite some time when it comes to um, astrology as well. One note that I would give uh, stargazers when you're looking at synastry, I don't think I'll be able to get too much into detail with this this time around, but um, what I would say 
would really help when it comes down to compatibility between generations. Sometimes the compatibility between the signs that the generational planets fall under can really be a big indicator within the situation. I will also mention like the attitudes that each generation comes out with um, in order to foster more of an understanding. I know uh, when it comes down to like, say, Gen Xers, you know, their uh, Pluto placement was in Virgo at the time in which they're born. It was right in conjunction with Uranus. For me, um, in my generation, Pluto was in Libra. So again, we had a semi-square going on there. We may not be able to see eye to eye where, you know, we're Gen Xers. Again, they're concerned with matters of Virgo, which is practicality. And again, we'll get more into this. But um, whereas my generation, not always so much w- with the concerns of practicality, um, that could be a clashing situation there. But my hope after this episode is to foster some sort of understanding and sensitivity with each generation, with what they crave in relationships and maybe how to meet that exactly, whether or not your generational planets get along um, in both charts. Without further ado, let me go ahead and just dive right in. So we'll go ahead and start off with the greatest generation, otherwise also known as the silent generation. Now, if you're wondering where the heck did I come up with the greatest generation, um, I didn't come up with that term personally. That's the term I grew up with when I found out that generations were being lumped into these buzzword categories. It was actually Tom Brokaw, who, you know, yes, uh, the uh, the guy who was the anchor man for NBC Nightly News way back in the day. Yeah, he was the one who labeled this generation the greatest generation, probably because, let's just be honest, he was within that generation being born in 1949. Lucky him. But uh, I think in earlier, in the uh, more recent years, the silent generation has also been coined for this generation. These are the individuals. I think that they're dying out, honestly. I hate to say that, but um, they are. But they lived through the Great Depression, World War II. So roughly, you know, they were youngsters in the late 20s, early 30s, grew up around the 40s to the 50s. And then we're adults or really kind of aged within, you know, 60s onwards as well, too. I think they were kind of more like parents to teenagers in the 60s and moving onwards from there. But so some of the positions in their charts. So when it comes to generation and when I looked at Betty White's chart, I looked at Phyllis Dillard's chart. Um, so some of the interesting things that come into play is that Pluto, it was in cancer at that time. So what does that mean exactly? So Pluto, for me, being in sinistry astrology, I tend to look at Pluto, either the great destroyer or the great transform transformation uh, maker. If we look at Pluto, the destroyer, even though we're looking at generational astrology, what usually is indicative with Pluto and Cancer is that we take a look at the archetype. So the archetype of Cancer is Cancerians are very home-loving. They can even be home bodies. They're also very nurturing as well, too. 
I'd say um, whether you're looking at cancer in the sign or whether you're looking at the house they rule, home is always what really kind of encircles back. So in this case, when I took a look at this, I saw disruption of home, uh, definite disruption of home, and uh, definite disruption of anything that resembled home to somebody. Now, home could be where the hearth is, or home could be brick and mortar. It could also be where your heart is as well, too. As the old Buddhist saying, and I think I had mentioned this Buddhist saying at one other point in juncture in an earlier episode, but there's this boot, this really very idealistic Buddhist phrase where it's like, if you're truly enlightened and you have a great sense of home, you can feel at home in the middle of a field, as well as you can feel at home in an apartment, in a lush apartment complex, or you can feel at home in a lush mansion. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are. You can always feel at home, which is, like I said, very ideal. But I mention this because I definitely see this when it comes down to the greatest generation. They definitely had to live this one down because, um, I would say, you know, with the Great Depression, especially, that's where a sense of home crumbled, especially when it came down to the individual. So when it comes to the greatest generation, when it came down to their parents or when it came down to people who were living with their parents at that time, a lot of people with the Roaring Twenties, they, you know, experienced decadence, very laissez-faire attitude. And there were many that put a lot of faith in the stock market and hence, you know, in this country, put a lot of faith in the stock market and, and you know, hence put a lot of funds into the stock market, which turned into calamity as of October the 29th, 1929, when the stock market completely crashed. Um, there were some who not only committed suicide, but also um, those who survived and didn't commit suicide and really stuck with it. Um, they really experienced a radical change when it came to home. Um, either they were living in shanty towns, so cardboard boxes, and since there was a whole community of people living in cardboard boxes, that's exactly what they were called, shanty towns. Um, there were long lines outside of soup kitchens, but I think what was even more stark and profound, as we saw with the Grapes of Wrath, a lot of people tried to move out to the West for better opportunities, only to find that no matter where you went at that time, there were hardships. And so that, that really is representative of Pluto and Cancer. When it comes to the greatest generation, they not only had to take on the attitudes of their parents and live with that, but also they had to live that down, that home life is very unstable. And hence they had to learn, I think both from their parents, I actually, I'm just going to reference this. Both of my grandmothers, even though they grew up on farms and they grew up with a farmer parents who already were very accustomed to living life of scarcity or living with very little or living a very practical life as well too. 
um, they definitely could feel the sting of the Great Depression. I think my maternal grandmother had said to me that, you know, shampoo was for rich people. So what happened was she had to wash her hair with and her body with the detergent soap that was used in the wash basin. And it kind of sounded like she was bathed in the wash wash basin, basically. Uh, my great-grandmother, I think, also taught her how to brush her teeth with a distress stick because that's what my great-grandmother had to do even in the century before the, you know, the Great Depression even happened. Um, you know, my great grandmother was used to living off of scarcity and living off of very little, making do with very little. Um, and that's what my grandmother had to adopt and also had to kind of get used to. And the same with her sister, my great aunt Gladys as well, too. So um, definitely with the greatest generation, they had to live with, especially I think with a sense of home, they had to live with a sense of home is also where your heart is. So it doesn't matter if like, say the power's out, you know, like say you live on a farm, the power's out, like how to make do when the power's out or when there's no power at all, how to make do when there's no power, just as much as you can make do when there is power that go, that is in your house. Most of the time, many people lived without power um, during the Great Depression. You know, those of the the silent generation. Also, um, having to make do with just feeling comfortable just about anywhere and feeling comfortable inside themselves as well as externally outside themselves as well, too. And dealing with those challenges and living them down. I do have to say that my grandmother imparted a lot of like how not only you could practically live survivalist wise, but that sense of just being at home in your heart, really, um, you know, having that great sense of faith in yourself and a great sense of faith in just whatever is going on around you in order to live away from a home as well as within it. Hopefully that's as esoteric as that sounds. Hopefully that makes some sense there, but I would say that definitely epitomizes the greatest generation right there. And my paternal grandmother, it was interesting. The stories that she had told were very similar, even though she was also on a farm, was used to living life of scarcity. Her parents were accustomed to that. You know, still it was like how to, how to make do with very little and how to like enter, especially for her, how to entertain herself and how to entertain her neighbors with very little. And it was amazing, like how much of an imagination, how much creativity uh, came out of this generation as a result, which just leads just perfectly to the next aspect in the charts of the greatest generation. That was Neptune was actually in Leo at that time. So again, I look at Neptune, I think of dreams, I think of nebulousness, ideals. Um, that's definitely encompassed within generational astrology. But with uh, Neptune being in Leo, there was a sense of not only creativity, but also a sense of dignity, which I also found very prevalent both of my grandmothers, as well as anyone who is in, who might still be in the greatest generation. Again, this is very sad. This is the one generation that's kind of dying out. 
And it's kind of up to the other generations to carry on their history, to carry on their legacy, so to speak. Um, but for those who are still living, again, um, you might see, you know, sense a sense of pride and a sense of dignity, which definitely that is encompassed with Neptune and Leo right there. You know, um, it might also, unfortunately, the downside with Neptune, it could be an inflated sense of dignity, you know, like they feel very, these, the individuals in this age range could feel very dignified and superior when really times don't really call for it exactly. But also, you know, there's also that deep sense of intuitively they had to go through a lot. So there is that pride. There is that, you know, sense of accomplishment with it. But along with the dignity, I mentioned creativity. So like my paternal grandmother, I think she um, was able to put on tap dancing shows for her neighbors without tap dancing shoes. And I think she had, she found like different creative ways, such as being able to put like maybe bottle caps in the bottoms of her, her shoes to make the sound, or just sometimes to even allow it to, you know, kind of get the movements down and then just kind of see where the sound goes with it. But again, um, a lot of abundant creativity that came from this generation, because again, you know, they had to rely on that, that to rely on new and novel ways of thinking of how to get away or how to think beyond the scarcity mindset of, gee, I have very little, therefore I can't do anything. Not true. It's like when you have very little, that's when you can do the most. It's, it's amazing. Um, with, like with the stories from my maternal grandmother and my great grandmother, both of whom who grew, grew up with very little, it is just amazing. You know, like I said, the distressed stick as a toothbrush to me is a, an example of creativity at its finest. Um, and ingenuity as well, too, at its finest. Um, I mean, it's just, it's amazing, like, what the human brain and what um, human intuition can really come up with when faced and pressed with that. Um, but also, too, I recommend the site Stargazers if you are interested in generational astrology. And that is patrickwilsonastrology.com. He's actually really great in just really briefly in his site pointing out not only the aspects of the particular planet at play, but also what happened in particular aspects when it came to history. And it kind of puts everything all into context. But um, with Patrick Wilson Astrology, he had mentioned that this was also the generation that really experienced not only silence moving to talkies, but with the talkies, you know, the advent of Golden Mayor and, you know, again, those those movies where the lion was proudly roaring at the beginning and um, really, again, that sense of film um, in that age, not only being a sense of creativity, but also for those who are of the greatest generation, I think when it came down to it, that uh, Neptune aspect in Leo, the sense of escapism was direly needed at that time. And sometimes it served, not only did it serve its purpose to serve escapism as escapism goes, but I think really the whole idea behind the movies was to help bolster people up and keep their hopes up. 
and then also kind of give some ideas of what, how life could be lived to where it could be ideal. Like, you know, what was presented in this favorite movie. Um, and also just really how to like kind of keep the faith going, so to speak, even though times are really kind of tough um, during, during that time. And it wasn't just in the U.S. either. I'm sure in Europe, those who are of the greatest generation in Europe really experienced some really mind-blowing situations, including dictatorships that were forming because of everyone's desperation for better times ahead. And, uh, the unfor- you know, with those dictatorships, that only led to more depression, you know, depression moments or led to deeper depression when it came to economic status. But then as we move into other facets, so what was also very interesting to me when it came down to breaking down the greatest generation and, you know, getting to know them and what they would need in synastry. So the greatest generation, the baby boomers, as well as millennials, early millennials have one transit that's in common. And that transit happens to be where Saturn is placed. For the greatest generation, as well as for baby boomers, Saturn spent a lovely deal amount of time in Libra, which ironically for Saturn, that's actually a great placement for the very dour, serious, and dire planet. But uh, what I see when I kind of see that placement definitely, especially with the greatest generation was definitely a sense of right and wrong. And I could definitely see this because I have a similar aspect in my chart. And I'm like I said, I'm an early millennial. I could see this within early millennials too. A definite set of right and wrong. A, A very hard sense of justice. So in this case, when it comes down to Saturn, justice isn't fluid as it usually is in Libra. There is, it's like, it's very set and very organized and very principled. For those who are within the greatest generation, where I could really see it the most was the political convictions. And I think it had to happen, you know, these beliefs had to serve this generation because overseas, as I had mentioned earlier, dictatorships were forming, um, especially when Pluto moved out of Cancer and went right into Leo, which as we'll see with the boomers, you know, exactly what that meant. But one thing that did mean was corruption of power. And so with that corruption of power, the fact that we were sending troops in overseas to fight that corruption of power and to fight the devastation and the pure sense of evil that was occurring within the confines of World War II, those of the greatest generation definitely had very set views as to what is right and what is good and what is just and what is just pure evil and what's bad, you know, pure what, so whatever is wrong, wrong was not seen as, gee, it's a mistake to be learned from wrong was seen as it's evil. It's bad. It should be rejected. It should be morally abominable. It should be out of society. And hence they carried this 
within other eras that they had lived or that they still live within as well, too. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but the only thing I can just see that's a drawback would be having such a firm conviction of what's right and what's wrong to where the individual could maybe be blindsided by the fact that there's seediness and underpinnings that also occur with what's right and that there's also underhandedness that occurs with what's right as well, too. And being blinded to that in such moral convictions as well. And then um, this one was also very interesting to me, too. Uranus in the greatest generation was actually in um, either. So within Philistilla, it was in Aquarius, but for many, it was in Pisces. Now, this is where the greatest generation or silent generation shares a lot with generation Z in the regard that when it, you know, with Uranus, so with Uranus and Aquarius, definitely strong convictions. However, if those, uh, the, if there were those who had Uranus in Pisces, which many did, where they share it with Gen Z is being liberated from the constructs of religion entirely. I think Generation Z came up with a concept of there was a god that was a spaghetti monster that they revered for a while. Uh, quite frankly, I did not hear about that, thank goodness, um, as an early millennial. I say thank goodness because that's definitely a deconstruction of religion as far as I can say so myself. Um, I'm sorry, adhering to a spaghetti monster as a god is almost very, very much like postmodern theories of simulacras or carbon copies of reality and or reality is becoming a one huge carbon copy and will not go down that rabbit hole. It just gets really, really dicey. But um, I really did not see that a lot with my grandparents and I did not see that a lot with the greatest generation. But one thing I could possibly see is that, you know, as much as they had very strong convictions I think their hearts were very much open to the aspect of faith. Whereas within a previous generation, faith may have been questioned by philosophers. It may have been questioned a little bit um, for those who were in the greatest generation, the silent generation, that they were open to it, especially in living within hard times and, you know, sometimes having that little extra faith within themselves and also in an organized religion was really something that really behooved them and really helped them through as well. All right. So sinistry wise, what I kind of looked at when it came to the greatest generation was again, needing to feel secure with their partner, mainly because their home situations were just so up in the air a lot of the time you know, needing to feel secure with their partners, needing to feel secure with their children um, later on in life. And I think also needing to feel secure in home, making sure that home is well paid for, that again, it's, it's, it's definitely a sense of structure, that it's permanent and there, it, there doesn't have to be a scarcity mindset anymore. Um, was definitely very important. And, you know, having stable home situations is very important to this generation for those who are still living 
Um, like I said, sadly, this is the generation that's kind of dying out. Um, respect for their convictions when it comes to their family members or those who are in a loving relationship. They definitely have some strong convictions. Again, what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what, what's morally just as opposed to what's unjust. So having respect for that and having people like needing people to hear them out. Uh, you know, can be fun and quirky when you also get to know them is what the third point I actually had within Sinistry. I know this from my grandmother, uh, my maternal grandmother, to be honest with you. There were times where I found out like she took, she was about ready to take belly dance lessons from, you know, with her friend later on in life, which I had no clue, you know, being as conservative as she was. I, I was like, that, that really threw me through a loop. Um, there were times where she also traveled and, you know, traveled the world, which I thought was very liberal and fun. But, you know, again, with Aquarius that, you know, underpinning with Pisces in there, they can have that quirkiness to them when you get to know them a bit better. So they're not just so pious and stuck in their own ways. You know, they do have that propensity to open up and really kind of see things within their time as well and see things in a fun way as well. All right, stargazers. So if you're still with me, hopefully you are, we're going to go into the baby boomers next, which they're also very interesting when it comes down to what they lived with, you know, what they had to live through as well as what they desire synastry wise. So with the baby boomers, basically, um, my parents' generation is what I, is how I like to say it. But, um, Pluto at the time was, so I think it was like 1944 to 1947 when Pluto made its shift from Cancer to Leo. And as I mentioned with the greatest generation, what that meant was, you know, an abuse of power. So where Pluto's destroying is really the sense of, ruling with heart-centered leadership, which is the epitome and underpinning of Leo, to just being vastly corrupt and, again, dictatorships forming. So basically, um, my, you know, when it came to baby boomers, they were very little. Um, so they didn't go through World War II, but they were very little when they had to go through McCarthyism or also the Cold War, which really divided our country like no other. Especially McCarthyism, you know, if you were seen as being a communist, that was the end of everything. You might as well should have just been ostracized from the country um, because it was just the end-all, be-all of everything. But with that Pluto placement being in Leo, it was all or nothing um, at that time, as we saw with McCarthyism, as we also saw with the Cold War, too, if you were seen as a communist, it's like you were either you weren't a communist or you were. And if you were seen as a communist, game over completely. But uh, really needing, I just mentioned when it came to Pluto in Leo, needing a clear sense of direction it was kind of really the, the desire of their time, you know, with the baby boomers, since, you know, direction and dictatorships were really very much in the prime of their childhood as well, too. Also um, wanting to be prone to compassion and dreams, because um, I also noted that uh, 
Well, I think I, I think that was one thing that I noted with Neptune's placement. So let's go ahead and scratch that for just right now. But uh, really needing some creativity or dreams to survive. And um, I think with, you know, again, with Patrick Wilson, astrology and Astrolink, the sense of glorification or need for it. And also, you know, again, as I mentioned, the evil dictators are power corrupted. Patrick Wilson was the one who mentioned that also comic books start to rise during the time of Pluto in Leo. So here again, we have this, okay, so we have, you know, we, they, this generation, you know, the baby boomers where they needed a sense of direction and they needed a sense of, you know, leadership, like fair and good leadership. But this is again, kind of similar to the greatest generation where, we have comic books that are definitely, you know, good triumphs over evil. And for baby boomers at that time, they really needed that outlook. Otherwise, life would have looked really grim, especially with McCarthyism and the Cold War going on in their childhood. I also think, too, you know, um, again, that good triumphing over a sense of evil and destruction and deplorability kind of carried even, believe it or not, even into the 60s and the 70s, where times might have looked a little bit, you know, rosy, but there was still a lot of sinister underpinnings that happened at that time. Now, this is where I was kind of getting into um, also wanting to be prone to compassion and dreams was there was Neptune and Saturn in Libra um, as well. So again, with Neptune in Libra, a need for compassion and also a, a, an ability to be compassionate, especially if personal planets came into contact with that particular planet. Also with the boomers really needing their dreams to thrive and survive the dreams of, you know, like having dreams that really kind of usurped their times, the dreams of that, um, yes, good would overtake evil, that good would triumph over evil any day of the week, but also having dreams that things would get better, um, that there weren't, that there won't be dictatorships and that, you know, things will just be much rosier for the future. With uh, Saturn also being in Libra, which I like I say again, Saturn spent a great deal of time in Libra for a while. But, uh, you know, again, a, a sense of duty or, you know, again, along with the dreams and, you know, having a heavy sense of compassion or wanting a heavy set of dreams. I think the dreams, too, were really part of, you know, what we see with the 60s and the 70s with baby boomers. Where again, were they were going through a lot of experimental phases with music, experimental phases with psychotropic drugs, and really there was a heavy sense of the dream world in their their world. You know, having you know escapism available with the psychotropic drugs in the late sixties to the early seventies, which also proved to be pretty fatal and not so great in the end, especially with LSD. But also, you know, in the 60s, you know, with um, the music available, a sense of hope. But with that sense of hope and sense of dreams also came a sense of expectation, a sense of duty, something that was left over from the greatest generation. And so um, we have this 
counterbalance or this tug of war within baby boomers, especially when it comes to the planetary alignments where, you know, where they felt, you know, whether to be, to dream the big dreams or to be realistic and to be dutiful and to be responsible and make sure that everything in life was a-okay were two norms that were kind of polarizing for them. The last aspect or planet that I found to be interesting was that of Uranus for the boomers. And I mentioned like due to my parents and what they had relayed to me, um, especially when it came down to, you know, being children of divorce, having again to make do without their parents, having to be very independent at a very young age, and also their parents instilling independence in them in a very young age. I felt like overly sensitive and erratic emotional periods in life with Uranus being in cancer, especially. And again, cancer is also known for emotional moods as well too. I think um, I also thought of needing some form of nurturing. It's like, you know, just nurturing in the form of theories in order to survive or just, all you know, theories, whether imparted by television shows like The Twilight Zone or Star Trek, you know, things will be, things will work out in the end, even if things look bleak, you know, if matters in life look very bleak or very much things that baby boomers really needed at that time. And I also mentioned possibly what was occurring in the 60s. You know, uh, we went from a very conservative period in life to a very liberal period in life in the 60s. You know, kind of like a freedom in the 60s. But, you know, again, with that freedom came a lot of consequences. Astrologyyard.com had mentioned radicalizing ideas of what makes a happy home life. And they mentioned that actually this is about the time with boomers where they were willing to accept single parenting and GLBTQ um, plus marriages, as well as, you know, living in communes at that time, not living in traditional suburban home structures that were the very life bread of the greatest generation, they wanted to branch out and move out when it came to sense of home. So again, um, commune, uh, living in ashrams. My mom actually lived on a kibbutz for a while when she was living in Israel, which was kind of interesting. And she imparted a lot of great stories, or she has imparted a lot of great stories um, from that experience as well. But really, when it came down to sinistry for me, and I had to compare notes with my own mother and my own father to see if this kind of really hit home for them and really kind of, it was like a, yeah, definitely. But I would say that when it came, when it's come down to baby boomers, a sense of stability I think is really what's required and really, you know, very similar to that of the greatest generation, but I think even more so a sense of stability in relationships. And I think that's really what's desired with them, especially, you know, with dictatorships ruling in their early years, you know, having radicalized notions and radicalized views in the sixties and the seventies, 
Um, sometimes even the scares that came with it when it came down to the 70s uh, with it, just really a sense of stability and a sense of groundedness is really what's needed. Despite the fact that, yeah, they had that, you know, the notions of living in communes or ashrams for, the, for a time. They really like to have reliable people in their life, those who will stay no matter what. And this one came from my mom's sense of viewpoint. You know, um, she grew up in a time, especially in the fifties where she had to be independent and had to rely, you know, basically the, uh, her, my grandmother being of the greatest generation wanted her to become independent and self-serving and really, you know, kind of operate on her own. Now my grandmother loved her children. Do not get me wrong, but that's one thing that she really wanted to instill. And with my mom that left a sense of, wanting need and wanting love in life, wanting to be loved in life and wanting somebody to tell her that they loved her. And I think that because that was the one thing she craved, that was the one thing that she was willing to offer to everyone that she loved later in her life when she was married, as well as when she had me, you know, she's always made sure to tell me she loves me every night. Um, that's very important to her because she really didn't always have that growing up. But I think, you know, again, having reliable people who will stay no matter what kind of factors into this, into, you know, a sense of fidelity, because there was a sense, you know, I think for the times too, there was a sense of infidelity. There was a sense of, like I said, a lack of stability all the way around. So, you know, again, staying no matter what. A good, strong family is also desired and then looking for ideals, believe it or not. Uh, really, again, looking towards those ideals of right and wrong. And even though boomers can really have, kind of like with the greatest generation, they can have a very heavy sense of what is right and what is wrong due to Saturn being in Libra again. You know, again, there's not that fluid sense of justice. Um, again, we, I usually see this with political convictions where there's a right way and then there's a wrong way and there's really no gray area or there's really no in between. And I think really the, that's kind of their sense of trying to look for ideals again, to prevent dictators from rising up or to prevent the horrors that they had to grow up with when it came to that sense of, you know, right, wrong, no in between. I'm kind of convinced my mother's greatest fear is that McCarthyism is going to repeat itself or that, you know, fascism will repeat itself all over again. And um, she also mentions to the fascism of the 70s with Nixon. And again, this, this is where her political views kind of come into. But I feel like her ideals of trying to prevent that really help her. And again, um, Wanting for somebody to accept that is really, I think, what's needed in sinistry as well, too. My father, not so much, but my father can have some very, this is right, this is wrong sort of convictions. And again, just being able to go with the flow and really accept those values and really accept those norms. All right, uh, stargazers, let's go ahead and go into our last generation for tonight or for today, I should say. I record both in the day and night. But that is that of the Gen Xers, the generation that I seem to be very fascinated with. 
especially romantically. I seem to be very fascinated with Gen Xers. I love their confidence. I love their sense of style. I love their independence. And heck, I'm just going to say it. I love their music and their culture. It's just the 80s were just, they're always, just, they hold a fascination for me. But um, with the Gen Xers, we've mentioned, I've mentioned a million times before that Uranus was conjunct Pluto at the time. And I've mentioned the, what that means in a sinister relationship, you know, heavy political convictions or heavy, you know, very um, rebellious and also very independent convictions of their own and being very, you know, kind of, kind of sound, I don't want to say sound, but very stubborn with them. But the one thing I could add with Pluto and Uranus was that they were in Virgo at that time, which I find to be very contradictory in the regard that they have very radical views. But um, I see this in general, whether it's with James Spader and his um, reminiscences of his days with JFK Jr., or whether I see this with any other, like, you know, there's Christian Slater, there's Edward Norton, you know, with any Gen Xer actor or any Gen Xer in general. Um, there was a sense of just really wanting to go back to normal. So if we kind of think about it, these were the kids who grew up in the communes that their parents thought were, was such a good idea to live within, or the ashrams, or even the kibbutzes. And uh, they were like kind of like what the joke in Lost Boys was. Um, they were this close to being named Sunshine, or Moonbeam, or Spud Rocket, or Dweezer. And, you know, they, they didn't really like that. They, you know, they were definitely exposed to quote-unquote hippie culture at that time. And really what came with Virgo was a sense of, can we just get back to normal? You know, that question of, can we just get back to normal? Can we, you know, or kind of like within Valley Girl, uh, main character mentions to her parents, like, this is not the age of Aquarius, you know, you know, and I, I think that that's definitely a, a an attitude that Gen Xers ha may have had towards their parents, this this is not the age of Aquarius. Let's get real, please. So ironically, it's kind of like they wanted to go back to where almost like the greatest generation happened to be at, but in their own unique style and their own unique way with Uranus being in the mix in this situation. What was also interesting was that Neptune was in Scorpio within the Gen Xers times. Um, so Neptune being in Scorpio means for me, I, I, when I looked at, it, I, I thought I said, you know, dreams had a sharp or not. I thought I said, sorry, I thought, you know, dreams would have had a sharp bent to them, you know, maybe told that dreams were just figments of the imagination and maybe just meant to believe that when it came to their dreams and their overall goals and aspirations. And then, of course, sharp bent towards reaching an ideal and not getting there. And then that kind of led to the cynicism. Patrick Watson Astrology actually mentioned that this time provoked fear. So the darker sides of Scorpio came out with Neptune being there. Um, so time provoked fear and encouraged interest in the taboo, the occult, and the and deconstructing norms. He also mentioned that, you know, Horror movies were at their height when Gen Xers were growing up as little kids, um, basically in the 70s. Um, so Gen Xers, I mean, they were born in the 60s 
lived and grew up around the 70s and also into the 80s as well, too. So again, you know, between the, the 70s and the 80s, there was, you know, height in horror films and height in exploring, you know, the morbid, the grotesque. I've even known of a couple Gen Xers who admitted that they, you know, I, I thought at first when I thought of Scorpio and the dark tinges of Scorpio, Neptune being in there, I thought of um, the goth culture immediately and how there were some in Gen X uh, culture, Gen X generation where they, they admitted to me, it's like, yeah, I thought about vampirism. Yeah, I thought long, hard and deep about the existential theories of vampirism. And, you know, that was just what we did at the time or just really dabbling with the paranormal a little bit here and there. But definitely with that sense of the goth culture, too, seeing how reality just sucked. Hate to say it, but, you know, that that's kind of like the Gen X or attitude. It's like, God, life just kind of sucked. There were a lot of there was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of underpinnings to what seemed to be positive, And it just kind of, so to speak, make a little automatopoeic sound on the air. But what was very interesting, contradictory at the same time was that Saturn was also in Pisces. You know, you'd think that with the God life sucks, you know, with the, you know, Neptune being in Scorpio and then, you know, Uranus conjunct Pluto being in Virgo with, hey, let's get real. There's, you know, you'd think that Saturn would be, let's make this dutiful. Let's, let's make this permanent. But with being in Pisces, it's like, uh, basically within Pisces, ironically, they know where they stand on religion and spirituality, and they're very grounded in this area. You know, I would think with Gen Xers, they're very liberated. They, I thought they would kind of transcend religion and politics, but actually they're very stable in this area and very convicted in this area. Hence why we probably saw a rise in born again Christianity, especially within the eighties, uh, you know, to like the late seventies to the early eighties and also a heavy rise in televangelism as well too, you know, with Tammy Faye and the likes of Tammy Faye, possibly a very young Billy Graham in those days, but yeah, televangelism, you know, so while there was, you know, psychic network and everything at that time, there was also, and, you know, the interest in the cult, there was also, again, the born, the born again Christianity bet, which, like I said, again, very interesting, you know, quite, you know, conflicting set of norms. But, uh, you know, again, very grounded. So granted in this area of life is where, you know, again, spirituality and religion, they kind of stayed. And I would say within, with Saturn too, staying with old norms, they stayed in the religion that they grew up within, or they stayed within the religion that was predominant in their culture and predominant in this country. I'd say Christianity or, you know, Abrahamic religions as well too. So again, in Sinistry, I think, you know, wanting to get, ironically, you'd think that with Gen Xers, they'd want somebody who thinks outside the box and, you know, who's really very radicalized in every which way possible. But it looks like Gen Xers really look for people who will give a solid, stable sense of family. You know, they look for a partner who wants to have a child. Or they look for a partner who has a paternal or maternal sense to them in order to have that grounded, stable family. 
What's also very interesting is that Gen Xers, especially, you know, so whereas baby boomers moved away from the greatest generation in wanting to get away from the white picket fence and wanting to get away from the leave it to beaver lifestyle, Gen Xers, it seems like they embraced it back again. Um, but instead of the white picket fence, it might be like, say, a community, like a gated community of some sort where they want to live or a gated apartment that's really swanky. Like James Spader sounds like he lives in a very gated apartment complex in New York that's very swanky, that's very upscale, but yet very sturdy, very stable, and basically the equivalent of the white picket fence or equivalent of, you know, that house in Connecticut, so to speak, which I know was also, Connecticut was also a big ideal for the 50s, you know, a lot of people who wanted to live in the suburbs in the 50s. But, you know, with, I think with Gen, you know, Gen Xers too, they, you know, something like that. Um, they also, again, I mentioned conservative life, going back to wanting the stable family, moving back to the suburbs, close to it, or just being grounded. You know, again, um, it goes back to, geez, this is not the age of Aquarius. Can we live a normal life, please? You know, and I think that they took that attitude that they had at a very young age and they moved forward with it. So in Sinistry, romantically, what they want is a stable, grounded partner as well. Which, again, very interesting. Very interesting considering the planets and considering many of the Gen Xers with whom I have known uh, personally, whether it be by an actor or whether it be personally as well, too. Well, Stargazers, this concludes my Generational Relationships episode, part one of this. Next week, definitely stay tuned for part two, where I cover early millennials, late millennials, and Gen Z as well, too. Um, and yes, millennials, believe it or not, are, are broken into early and later. Um, I will get more into it. It's very interesting and definitely, definitely different uh, generational planet positions. But above all, don't be afraid to look up at the stars. Um, I have not seen particular planets out recently, although I'm sure that, they're, that they are out. Maybe I'm just not noticing them very well with my own naked eye. But one thing I do know is that the moon is halfway full. So that's definitely lighting up the night sky. But above all, it's a great way to get in touch with our you know, our beginnings when it comes to astrology as well, too. And then above all, stargazers, as always, be well between now and next week. And until now and next week, I will see you then. If you do want to reach out to Sandra Misek, you can definitely visit her at either Misek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com. You can also visit her at her Instagram page at at Sandra.Misek, again spelled M-I-S-E-K. And you can also visit her Patreon page uh, where she encourages you to subscribe or to become a member. And also when you do become a member, that again, you get that free Sinistry reading um, all the way around. Again, that is on patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology.